morning. If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Our New Testament reading is uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 4, chapter, one, chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Lord, again, uh, even with daylight savings, you have given us the strength and enough energy, uh, even with a one hour less sleep, to come and to join together with fellow saints, Lord, to worship you, God, to give you all the glory that you deserve. And Lord, as we come to now hear your word being spoken to us, Lord, would you continue to move in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Continue, Lord, to open our ears to know and understand your will that we as your people may live out your will for your glory. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our journey to the cross. That's the book we're using for our devotional for our 40 Days of Lent uh, by Paul Tripp. And so as we do continue in our journey to the cross, today I'd like to talk about the enemies of the cross. And that's uh, what Paul is talking about today uh, in our New Testament passage in Philippians. He talks about the believers, the church, as he's writing to his beloved. And you can notice that he has a lot of affinity, much love for the people in Philippi and the church in Philippi. He calls them beloved. He calls them brothers, right? 
And as he writes this letter to them, he says, even with tears, there are some who are enemies of the cross. And so I'd like to take a look and examine what Paul was talking about. Who are these enemies of the cross? Now, we can't know exactly who the enemies of the cross Paul is talking about here. He doesn't say specifically these people or these types of people or the, whoever they are, but we can make some predictions about who they are based on the context of the scripture, his letters, and especially the context of Philippians. So most scholars say that he's maybe talking about the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the ones who were bringing a false gospel, an extra gospel, right, into the church. In verse 2 of the same chapter we read today, Paul says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, one of the things that the Judaizers taught was that you had to have circumcision in order to be a true Christian, right? You had to follow all of the Mosaic laws. You had to follow the dietary, the food laws as well. Otherwise, you're not a real Christian. And so they made people get circumcised, and especially the Gentiles, of course, because they didn't have any of this. Of course, Paul, he says in Galatians 1.7 about them, not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says that they're coming in and they're trying to add something. They're trying to distort the true gospel. The gospel that says that you don't need to add something, some kind of work, some kind of deed in order to be saved. For salvation comes only from the grace of God through faith alone. These enemies of the cross could be people within the church who are living in a deliberate and habitual sin. For them, the grace of God is just another excuse for them to sin even more. Oh, well, you know, God, he already forgave us. And he already, know, he already died for me. You know, Jesus, he sent Jesus. He already loves me. And so I'm just going to go sin. And I'm going to do these things. And it's okay because God forgives me. For these people, they condoned these sins even. And they saw them as acceptable because maybe their society or their culture defined these things as non-sinful. And so they were able to justify their sins in this way. Paul perhaps is speaking of the enemies of the cross, those who abandoned their faith because of the persecution and all the things that were going on in the church. Perhaps these people were heavily persecuted by the government or by those around them, their family members or their, their friends. To them, suffering is unbearable. It is not a mark of a Christian, right? It, you know, I, I became a Christian so that I could live a better life, not so that I could be persecuted and suffer. And so they abandoned their faith. And to these people, even Paul, Paul was, was shameful for them, right? A, a source of embarrassment. Oh, this, this great Paul the Apostle, look where he is now. He's in prison, in prison writing this letter. And whoever these enemies are, it is clear that they do not have a true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not have a true relationship with God through Jesus Christ. However, through the context of Philippians, we can also know that these people are not completely separated from the church. They are not disconnected from Judaism or Christianity or the church. In fact, some of these people probably were people who once maybe confessed or believed or attended church, or went to the temple, 
or were Jewish by culture. They knew God in some kind of way, yet they deceived themselves into thinking that they knew God, that they knew Jesus Christ. Maybe they had a knowledge of the scripture. Maybe ethnically or culturally they had been brought up to know God. But Paul says in today's scripture that they walked as enemies of the cross of Christ. So then, the enemies of the cross are not simply those who don't believe, the atheists, the agnostic, the ones who are not Christian, the ones who brazenly refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are also enemies of the cross. But Paul here, he says something interesting. He says that the enemies of the cross are the ones who do not walk in the ways of the Lord. He says that they walk as the enemies of Christ. And this brings us back to some of his other letters, like Colossians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5, where Paul, he says, he tells the Christians to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds Christians that even after we are saved, even after the regeneration of our hearts, that there's something that happens in our lives. It's not just that we become saved and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and then we just do nothing or we just go back to our old sinful ways or our old habits. Paul says that because of our regenerated hearts, because of the grace of God, because of Jesus Christ and faith in him, now your lives are changed. And he says, so then now you must walk in a way that is worthy of the calling you have received. Why does Paul have to say this to us? Why does he have to say this to the church and to Christians and to believers? Right? If, if you're saved, if you're truly saved, then isn't that enough? Yes, that is enough. But Paul says that there is a, a life, a way of living that comes out of a regenerated heart. A life that comes out of faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying this to us because it's the walk that really distinguishes between the enemy and the ally of the cross. In the same verses uh, in Colossians and Ephesians, Paul explains that when a true Christian walks in this way, it leads to humility and gentleness and patience and unity and bearing the fruit of every good work, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. He says that we will grow in the knowledge of God. We will be strengthened with all power and we will give thanks to our Lord. The result is that we will share in the inheritance of the saints in the light and receive redemption. This is what comes out of our lives, out of the life of one who loves Jesus, who walks in his ways. But Paul tells us, that the result of one who walks as an enemy of Christ, the result is vastly different. In today's chapter, in verse 15, he says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So then when we read the text, when we read enemies of the cross of Christ, I think automatically sometimes we think of, you know, the heathens, and the pagans and those who, you know, have no shame. They don't believe in God and, you know, they're of this world. 
But I think today's scripture and throughout the New Testament, we are reminded that the enemies of the cross are not simply those outside of the church, those who don't believe in God, but that even within the church, even those who might say that they know God, that they grew up in the church and so that they know Jesus Christ, that even there, there are some who are enemies of the cross. This is a thing to be aware of. The outward religious actions of these two groups, right? The enemies of the cross and the allies of the cross, those who walk in the ways of the Lord. The outward religious actions, they look almost identical. When Paul talks about these people, he's not talking only about those heathen pagans, but he's talking about the ones who grew up in the temple, knowing the Lord, learning the scriptures in the Judaizers. He's talking about the ones who were in the church who heard the gospel message and maybe even joined the church, yet they abandoned their faith or they continued in their sin without having any repentance. It's the same in Jesus' time. Jesus didn't rebuke the heathens and the pagans the most. The people that he rebuked the most were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders, those who had grown up in the temple, those who knew God. They thought they knew God. He rebuked them the most because they were hypocrites, because outwardly in their religiosity, in their actions, they acted like they knew God. But in their hearts and in their minds, they were their own God. And so, I would like to break down very quickly, briefly, in verse 19, what Paul says is the, are the characteristics of those who are enemies of the cross. In verse 19, first, he tells us that their end is destruction. They will not have eternal life. Their lives are perishing and being wasted. And this is the greatest tragedy of being an enemy of the cross. It's, it's that they, they don't really love Jesus. They don't accept Jesus as their Messiah, their Savior, the only one who can save them. And even if they're in the church, they don't truly seek the redemption that Christ offers them, and instead they seek it in themselves. And they try to do something. They try to make it happen. They try to make it work. And so to them, Jesus maybe is a good man, maybe a wise teacher, Maybe he's even a prophet, right? He did all the miracles, but he is not the Savior. He is not their Messiah. Secondly, Paul says that their God is their belly. Now, we might be thrown off a little bit about this, right? Their God is their belly. I think for some of us, we can relate to that, right? We really like to eat food. Now, the word belly here in Greek is koilia, which is literally translated into the belly or the organ of the abdomen, right? So he's talking about the stomach. That's the word he uses. However, metaphorically speaking, it means the innermost self, the thoughts, the feelings, the desires, the heart of a person. So is Paul talking about the physical stomach or is he talking about the innermost self? Well, whichever he's talking about, what he's saying is the enemies of the cross live for themselves and not for God. They live for their own desires, their own appetite rather than the will of God. They serve themselves rather than serving God. 
they are their own God, they are their own savior. And everything they do comes out of a motivation for themselves rather than God. And even if they claim to know God, even if they might pray to God, their prayers are manipulative. They're just trying to get something from God so that they can serve themselves. Even if they do something that is religious, it's often self-serving for their own gain and their own benefit. They love others to receive something in return. Whatever they do, their true motive is to satisfy their belly rather than God. And speaking of those who are causing divisions within the church, Paul says they create obstacles contrary to the doctrine. These are people who are in the church, who are causing division in the church. In Romans, as he writes to the Roman church, he says in chapter 16, verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. That word for appetites is the same Greek word, koilia. And he's not talking here about their bellies, right? Their, their actual stomach appetites. He's talking about the innermost self. He's saying that these people who are in the church, they do not serve the Lord, but they serve themselves, their own desires, their innermost self, their thoughts, their heart, all their, their, their motivation comes out of selfishness. Thirdly, Paul says that these enemies of the cross, that they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Because they are enemies of God, they seek to find joy and peace, happiness, satisfaction, not in God, but in the world, in worldly things. To them, trying to find these things in God is folly. It's foolishness and it's worthless. Instead, they think that the things of the world are the things that are of true value, that will bring true joy and true happiness. And when they have found these things, something that they think is worthy, or they've accomplished something that they think is valuable, or they receive something that they think is worthwhile, then they glory in those things. They glory in themselves rather than in God. Even though their hearts are wicked, their actions are shameful before God, they celebrate these things. They celebrate the glory that they receive on this earth. Speaking of these things that we attempt to fulfill ourselves with, that we try to find glory in, Paul Tripp, he writes, we look for it in our children that we parent, we look for it in the houses we buy, we look for it in our friendships, we look for it in our jobs, we hope we'll get it in our marriages. We hope a vacation will give us just a little bit of it. We envy people who we think have found it, although no one has. We think if we just have a little more power, we will find it. We hope another academic degree will be a pathway to it. We move to a new city, hoping more of it will be there than in the last. We hop from church to church, hoping we'll find it there. We are emotionally exhausted, but we keep searching. Why do we keep searching? Why does it seem like after every accomplishment, there is another one? After every goal is, 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 is set and done, there's another one. The reason is because there's no true glory in the things of the earth. Paul says they're perishing. 
They're fading away. The only true glory that is eternal and everlasting is the glory of God. And that's why we never are satisfied fully with these things of the world. And so Paul urges us as Christians, he says in verse 17, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul urges the Christians, he says, imitate me. What, what, what are we supposed to imitate? Does Paul give us you know, some kind of account of, of, of what we're supposed to imitate? Well, he actually does. In chapter 3, previously, in verses 7 through, through 11, this is what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, brothers, sisters, don't look at this world. He says, look to God. And he says, look at me. Imitate me. And we all know Paul's story. We all know how he was, you know, excelling in all these things. He was, he was, he was going to be a great person in all these things. He was persecuting Christians. He was gaining all the acclaim, right, from his peers. And he says, whatever I had before, whatever I counted as gain before, Right? Whatever I benefited from before, in that old life, before I knew Christ, before God redeemed me, he says, now I count it all as loss. He says, in fact, now I know because God has opened my heart and he has opened my eyes and my ears. And he says, now I know that those things are actually poop. Rubbish. <laughs> rubbish. That's, it's trash. That's rubbish. That's the word he uses. All of that is worthless compared to the glory of God, compared to the redemption that I now have through Jesus Christ, the grace and the mercy that I have received. He says, all of that is rubbish. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, so what if you lose some stuff in the world? So what if you don't get that promotion that you were expecting? So what if you don't get to gather as much material possessions as your neighbor. Of course, these things are important to our livelihood. They're not just trivial things, and when we are disappointed in our lives, those are real things to us. But our hearts have been transformed. Our eyes and our ears have been opened to the truth so that as ones who are redeemed, as ones who have regenerated hearts, like Paul, we look at those things and we say, yeah, we need them to live, but that's not my glory. Yes, I need these things to live, but that's just rubbish. How can we say that? Well, because we look at this glory of God in his son, Jesus Christ. And as we reflect through this season of Lent, we remember that as he walked to Calvary, his journey to that cross, that it was for us so that he could provide for us not more rubbish, 
but that he could provide for us eternal glory, eternal life. And so, when we struggle because of the things of the world, when we are tempted to put our hope and our value and our worth and our identity in the things of the world, Paul says that these things, these struggles, these temptations, these hard times in our lives, that they're supposed to point us back to Christ. They're not supposed to make us flee from Christ, which I think is something that is innate in all of us. When we sin, when we struggle, when something happens, we want to blame God instead of run to him. We want to look into the world instead of looking to God. Paul says, for those who are allies of the cross, who truly love Jesus, we will run to him. Many times we try to fill the void in our hearts, in our lives, with things of the world, more of the world. And it leads to more sin and more temptation and more struggle. And so we look into more of the world to fill this void. We keep trying to go back to our old self. When John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he proclaims that he is a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he looks at his disciples and he says, now you stop following me and go follow him. And this is what he says in John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. See, that's the confession of one who truly loves Jesus, who truly follows Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. I think a lot of times we're looking for ourselves to increase and for Christ to decrease. Well, you know, God, I don't really need you that much anymore. You know, when I was the sinner, you know, back when I was a heathen, when I didn't go to church, you know, that's when I really needed you, God. But now I've been a Christian for so, so many years, and I read my Bible, you know, at least once a week, and I do all these great things, you know, in church. I, I, I do the chili cook-off. And so now I don't really need you anymore, God, so I must increase and God must decrease. But that's not the confession. The confession is... He must increase, and I must decrease. This is what sets us apart from those who walk as enemies of the cross. We take the focus off of ourselves, and we put the focus on Christ. Instead of setting our minds on earthly things, we set our minds on the things that are above. And so Paul says in the next chapter, in chapter 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul says, instead of seeking fulfillment from the things of the world, look up to heaven. Look to Christ. The sign of a disciple, Jesus says, is one who is willing to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus. These aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus. He says, if you would be my disciple, then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, follow Jesus. The point of all of this right, is not for you to sit where you are right now and think, man, am I an enemy of, a, of the cross of Christ? Am I, am I not a, a, 
Am I not saved? Am I not a, a believer? That's not the point of this. It's not just to throw you into a guilt trip and say, well, you need to stop looking at the things of the world. Deny yourself. Stop being like those Judaizers and trying to add some things. Stop looking to... Yes, these are all good things, but it's not to doubt your salvation. These things should help you to realize, help us to realize how wretched we are, how sinful we are, how utterly hopeless we are without Jesus Christ. See, Paul here is telling us that our walk has nothing to do with our own righteousness. So, the, if, you, if you've listened until now and you, if you started thinking to yourself, well, I've got to start living a better life. I'm going to, starting tomorrow, I'm going to do my devotions every day and I'm going to do all these things and you're, and you're thinking to yourself how you can be a better person or a better Christian. Then just get rid of all those thoughts right now because before that, we have to realize that this walk, the walk has nothing to do with us. When Paul says, now, walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you have received in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be thinking, how is that possible? I can't do that. Paul, you're asking me to do something that's impossible. How am I going to walk in a manner that's worthy of the salvation that I've received? Paul is saying that it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on you, this walk. This walk, it depends only on Jesus Christ. We are able to walk in this way only because of the grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ. We are able to obey God's law. And we are able to desire God's will, not because of ourselves, but because He has given us grace because he has regenerated our hearts because he has changed our desires we are not looking for credit or merit or trying to get something from Jesus we're not trying to get righteousness from God because he has already given it through Jesus Christ to us as we read in the Old Testament Abraham didn't do anything to receive righteousness the text tells us that God gave him righteousness and so to this, Paul Tripp, he says, the flow is not to live up to the gospel, but rather live out of the gospel. It's an incredibly important distinction. Instead of saying, here's the standard, now live up to it, the Apostle Paul encourages the believer to live out of the gospel through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we as Christians... We no longer are trying to live up to the gospel. We now, who have been saved, who have been given this imputed righteousness through Jesus Christ, we now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, live out of the gospel. And that means, yes, sometimes we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to fail, and we're going to sin, and we're going to be tempted, and we're going to do all these bad things. But when you live out of the gospel, that means that you come back to Christ. Paul, he reminds the Christians, he says, but we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Why is he saying that? He's saying, no matter what kind of struggle you're going through, no matter what your situation is right now, no matter how much you're persecuted or suffering or whatever it is, 
He says, remember, we are not citizens of this earth. This is not the end, but we have been given eternity. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we do not put our trust in worldly things. We put our trust in a heavenly savior. We do not put our hope in politics, even in our country's leaders, in our families, or even our church leaders. We put our trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our savior, who Paul says we continue to await. Every day we await our savior. And so, if we are living out of the gospel, then we are an ally of the cross. If you are coming before the Lord daily in humble confession, for you know that you are a sinner, and he is the only one who can save you, he is the only one who can forgive you, then you are an ally of the cross. When you find yourself in sin, when you find yourself being your own God in selfishness, but you run to God and you run to Christ rather than run away from him, then you are an ally of the cross. If you understand that there is nothing more that you can gain in this world and in your life because Christ has already given you everything, then you are an ally of the cross. And so we look forward to the day where we will be perfectly restored with Christ in his glory. And that is what keeps us going each day. Through the pandemic, through the struggles of our lives, through the conflicts of our world, what keeps us going each day is not how much money we have in our bank account. It shouldn't be. It's not how many friends we have or how many children we have or what's going on in our lives or how esteemed we are in our jobs or whatever it may be. What keeps us going every day is that we await our Savior, a Savior who loves us and forgives us, who sanctifies us, and who will one day glorify us in our new heavenly bodies. And so we look forward to the day when we will finally be with our Lord Jesus. And so Paul, he tells us in Colossians chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness that came through your journey to the cross. And as we reflect on that journey, Lord, we reflect on our own lives, how we too are so wretched, we are so sinful, and we have no hope. But at the perfect time, Lord, you came, you suffered, you died, and you resurrected. And you have given us new life, eternal life. And so, Father, help us, Lord, to be allies to the cross. Ones who live out of this gospel message. Help us, Lord, to be ones who aren't looking to ourselves, but, Lord, are always looking to you are always looking at the things above 
by looking to eternity, that one day we will be glorified again with you in heaven. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.